Hello, and welcome to the disability myth. My name is Dominic, and I live with a fatal disease called spinal muscular atrophy. Together, my amazing caretaker, co-host, and best friend, Uriel and I, plan to debunk misconceptions, share our personal experiences, and shatter your expectations. But we're not stopping there. We're bringing in experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are smashing through societal barriers, paving the way for a more inclusive world. Whether you're tuning in to learn, empathize, or simply to be entertained, the show promises to be an eye-opening experience that transcends boundaries. Because when it comes down to it, what makes us different is what makes us extraordinary. Welcome back to another episode of The Disability Myth. As you know, I am your handsome and humble host, Dominic Trevithan. Alongside me, as usual, is the equally handsome... Uriel, oh, and humble. Can't forget that. And hammy. And hammy. Don't forget hammy. Him. He's very hammy. So a little bit. Today, we figured we'd get back to our more intimate roots and just have a simple conversation, just the two of us, no guests today. Like uh, the Bill Withers song. What's that? Like the Bill Withers song, man. Oh yeah, just the two of us. That's Wait. such a good song. Is that Bill Withers? It is. Oh, hold up. I should fact check myself live. I don't know. I'm not sure about that, Chief. Oh, my. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Artist Bill Withers and Grover Washington Jr.? I mean, I'm right. I'll give it to you. You got it. Okay, cool. So. Oh, I got scared. I'm like, oh, man. Just the two of us. All right. Just the two of us. Mm-hmm. So before we kind of jump into today's episode, we thought we would just give a little bit of an apology uh, for the lateness, the tardiness of the episode. We both kind of had pretty busy weeks. And uh, weekends. And weekends. Yeah. Cue the Sunday night football music. Oh, yeah. And that, that, no, that, no, I swear that's not why we're late. <laughs> no, I um, personally, I just... I've had some stuff going on in the background. Um, I had to go to an award ceremony the other day. I got recognized for the work I do with Cottage Rehabilitation Hospital, which I'm super humbled and honored to have been recognized at. I got the um, Empowerment Award, Team Empowerment Award, I believe it was called. Um, I should probably know this because it was inscribed on a plaque that I have, but I'll fact check and post about it later on the Instagram and Facebook at the disability myth. Boom, boom. There's your plug. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So I've just, just been busy with that, looking into some website design stuff for the podcast and the brand. Cause you know us, we gotta, we gotta brand ourselves. Gotta get oh, those yeah. shirts going. Gotta get the merch pumping, you know? <laughs> Since we hadn't mentioned it, let's go back like a week or so prior this week um let's the the other you gave a talk for the fisher yeah. foundation right 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 no that's good 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 callback i um gave a speech at the grace fisher foundation inclusive arts clubhouse in santa barbara a couple weeks ago and so that definitely took up some of my time too um but it was awesome 
I got to give a little speech in front of a small crowd and we had some people on Zoom as well. And really glad I did it. It was a great audience, great experience. Grace, if you're listening to this, that clubhouse is awesome. It's so spacious and it really feels like it was designed for people with disabilities in mind. And I appreciate it. It has wheelchair room, you know. Yeah, you get full freedom to just go full zoom, zoom, rabbit mode mm-hmm. on the power chair. <laughs> they have a big beanbag seat, like a little big, I don't, I don't, a big beanbag chair. That's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've, we've just been busy with that. Gabriel drove me there. He was yeah, he did. It was terrifying. Uh, fed me some pizza before I gave my speech. Put in a good day work. Some Rusty's pizza. <laughs> it was the first time I've ever had Rusty's pizza as a Santa Barbara native. I've been here all my life. I've never had Rusty's before. It was it was interesting. <laughs> kind of reminds me of. Have you ever had Tower Pizza? It, it tastes like what Tower Pizza used to taste like. Right. In my childhood, like back in the day. For those of the, the, uh, the our thin. viewers, for those of our viewers who are in North Santa Barbara County, solving specifically, Towers Pizza is the pretty popular pizza place here in town. I think the only, right? That's either that or Domino's. That or Domino's. If you want to go to San Inez Valley, Pizza Shack. Pizza Shack. Yeah. The one I always loved the most was Antonio's, and they closed. Oh, rest in peace. COVID. Yeah. Yeah, they're going through it. They had to lease the actual restaurant part of their restaurant, their their place. So they were just operating out of the kitchen. They were just paying rent and stuff on the kitchen and just selling pizzas out the kitchen, literally. Wow. Yeah. A lot of birthday parties there. Yeah, that place was always busy. It was good. Oh, yeah. That Chicago deep dish style pizza. Oh, yeah. It's good. And then my week, pretty hectic. Uh, Just a lot of midterm stuff to do. Just a lot of essays, a lot of midterm stuff that I had to study for. I swear, like college professors, they just make everything do like projects and everything do at the same day they all collectively get together yeah and and say you know what let's have all our students write essays at the same exact time and make them do on the same week why not that's cool sounds like a great idea it's not too bad if you're passionate about the essay um honestly the hardest part is probably the research yeah because i think that's the most time consuming aspect of it is doing the research Right, and then making a game plan on how to use or summarize that research in your actual paper. Right. No, I, I totally agree. I've spent a lot of time doing research papers for my degree, and I wholeheartedly agree. It is the most tedious and time-consuming aspect of writing papers is finding the research, reading through all the like scholarly articles and finding something relevant to your argument in your paper and being able to apply it in your paper. Because it's you're either finding something that kind of helps you, but then you have to summarize it in a way 
that helps you or you find scholarly articles or something that like directly like proves or like helps your argument and like those articles i feel like are so hard to find yeah it's always yeah. like some articles like some correlation that might be a thing this is that and it never directly like yeah and i've i've told you, know. you this before within my scope of communication and writing all my papers i like to talk about disability and communication experiences in my papers that kind of interabled communication that isn't very well known or well studied in our current literature and it was always extra painful for me to do research papers on those topics because of that fact that there is extremely limited amounts of literature on interabled communication or just disabled communication, right? And how it differs yeah. from non-disabled communication. Well, I think it's just a reminder of how important research and development and all those things are. And that graduate students are out here doing the real work, you know, dedicating their time to do all the research yeah. and find the correlations for us and summarizing it in their journals in a way that's accessible to us the general public right shout out jen yeah because all like those people are truly like they're pushing they're pushing their field and sometimes you know we ignore them a bit you know it's like th that grad that i say undergrad i meant to say grad you know masters phd programs those people are out there grinding you yep. know super expensive super hard work very research heavy but ultimately it's for the betterment of society hopefully if they're able to find new correlations and hopefully new breakthroughs you know always worth it oh shizzle um, yeah so yeah i got midterms going on also a little heavy but unfortunately my grandfather did pass away this weekend so we've been, so I've been, not only have I been doing essay and school things on top of all that, but also doing family stuff with rosary prayers and right. getting, talking to the morgue and all that. Well, my parents are mostly doing that, but I'm just kind of like on the sidelines, you know. Well, we have a do you mind me asking what, what his name was in his age? Um, Primitivo Figueroa. 84. That's a cool name. Promotiva. Yeah, very Spanish. <laughs> yeah. And um very quiet. He didn't speak a whole lot, but uh he had he he liked to have fun. He liked to crack jokes all the time. That's cool. And what surprised me about him is that at 84, absolute hairline king, let me tell you. He had he has never dyed his hair. He would wear like trucker hats like all his life. Not a single bald spot on that man. That dude has the hair of a 30-year-old business dude. Like wow. Crazy. Like even even on in his final like days, he only had like swirls of like gray. It's like I don't it's crazy. He's always had like jet black, super dark, like bold black hair. Yeah. 
He got the good hair gene, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I it skipped me, apparently, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're handsome and humble, bro. Remember? We don't got to talk about... Uh, we don't got to talk about the hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you want to introduce today's topic? Or I think... Oh, hold up. You have a... SSI saving penalty? Yeah. No, yeah. So before we kind of jump into today's topic... Um, I did want to address the, some exciting news that a lot of you who are listening have probably heard of by now. It's kind of been out in circulation online for about a week now. But the fact that um, the SSI Savings Penalty Elimination Act is being reintroduced to Congress. And yeah, like I said, this is really exciting because for those of us that are on SSI that receive SSI payments that we live off of, such as myself, we are not allowed to have more than $2,000 in our bank account. Otherwise, we lose our SSI as well as any linked benefits that we are eligible for. So in my case, if I make over $2,000 or have over $2,000 of assets in my bank account, then I lose all of my nursing care, which is a serious problem. And not just my nursing care, but my IHSS hours as well. So I wouldn't have nursing care and I wouldn't have Uriel paid to take care of me. I I didn't know that part of it. I didn't know it extended to FRU to IHSS too. That's that's insane. Because, Because I receive... Social Security benefits um, or Social Security checks. My my Medi-Cal is linked, you know, to my Social Security, and so my Medi-Cal is what pays for all of my care. So if I lose my Social Security status, I lose my Medi-Cal benefits as well. And they're looking to increase it, right? Yeah. So. According to the ACT, or I'm sorry, the ARC.org, the ARC as in ARC.org, this new bipartisan bill would essentially raise the asset limit from $2,000 to $10,000, which is not a whole lot. It's not a huge improvement. But it is, I believe, a step in the right direction. And I think what's more important, that's a part of this bill that may be overlooked by some, is the fact that if it does get passed, that $10,000 would be indexed with inflation. So in other words, if inflation rises, so would the amount of that $10,000 that we're allowed to have in our bank account, which is very cool. I think that's a big old win. Hopefully it gets passed. I, I want it to get passed. Personally, Um, I want it to be more than 10K personally, because 10K in assets, what does that mean? Yeah. You know? Well, and one of the main arguments for increasing the amount in the first place is, you know, people with disabilities should be able to have savings for emergencies 
But I think we should take it a step farther because personally, like I just mentioned, if I make too much money, like as in over 2000 right now, I lose my my nursing care. So for those of us, for individuals such as myself that require that care, who can also work, such as myself, we're not allowed to earn that much money by working because we need that care. Right. And if you look at how much you one would have to pay a nursing staff over the course of a year, we'll say, it comes out to about 150000 give or take, out of pocket per year. So that's why I say $10,000, it's a nice little improvement. It's a step in the right direction. But how am I am I going to pay for my nursing care with ten thousand dollars in savings? Right. Let's say hypothetically, you owned I don't, I don't know how many side loaders or ten k, but let's say hypothetically, you had a car that was modified for your needs. You know, it's a side loader. You can get in. You get you get like strapped in and everything, right? And it's under your name. Wouldn't that count as like an asset and it was like worth a little bit over 10K, then would you just lose? So the thing about that is the government does realize that transportation is necessary for people with disabilities. Okay. But we are allowed, you know, to have a car of value. One car. If you have two though, say say you wanted um say you were in a situation where you have a car that's old, breaking down, and you want to purchase a new car with the same modifications that would allow you to transport yourself as required. You couldn't just buy a whole other car and keep the old one. You would have to, oh, you'd have to, sell, you'd have to sell the first car. Or scrap it or something. Right. You know, relinquishing asset, relinquishing it as an asset, and then you would have to purchase the next vehicle. Which Got it. Is entirely illogical in the first place because how would you be able to go out and buy a new vehicle without a vehicle in the first place? Exactly, and again, I think they should just increase ten k. It's it's a win for sure, but I personally, um. You got, you guys are just people, and you get you guys deserve medical care. Yeah, whether it be twenty four hour care and all that, and I think they should just increase it a little bit past, yeah. not a little bit, but past ten k. That way, you disabled people can, you know, feel free to have multiple assets, right, or have a little bit more disposable income and a little bit more flexibility with your cash, right. That way you I can participate it's... in this thing we call economy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's tricky to play devil's advocate for a second here because okay. because most people with a severe physical disability, such as myself, let's face the reality of it, they're probably not working. If if you need 24-7 nursing care or just care in general. 
I think, again, to go back to the first episode, the root of this whole podcast, the assumption is that person doesn't work if they need 24-7 care. I think that's a safe assumption, right? Right. But again, it's faulty. It's not 100% foolproof. When we make those assumptions, we leave out a small group of people that don't fit that mold, that don't fit that narrative, such as myself. And that is why I'm so hyped about this legislation being passed because A, obviously we have access to more money in our accounts, but B, it's just, it's a step in the right direction legislatively. If this gets passed, I'm hoping it can just kind of be expanded upon in the future, right? It it leaves the door open for more legislation, I think, to be passed that brings individuals living with disabilities into the equity conversation, right? Exactly. Yeah, because I was looking at these little notes, man. This thing hasn't been looked at. It's now getting revised since 1984, almost 40 years. Right, since 1984. That's insane. Individuals who rely on social services, social security, Medi-Cal benefits, all of the above have not been eligible to keep those benefits and concurrently earn or keep more than $2,000 worth of assets. So it's bonkers. And yeah, yeah, like I just can't believe it took this long for it to be, you know, reintroduced. I'm happy Mm -hmm. it is. I'm ecstatic, but at the same time, I can't help but question why so long, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least it's something's getting done. Something's getting done. At least. Assuming it passes. And I I, I see why they wouldn't. I can't see why they wouldn't pass this. Yeah. Fingers crossed it gets passed. No issues. Hopefully there's no filibusters. Um, Yeah, I'm doing a quick CPI inflation calculator here. January 1984, August 2023, uh, 2000. That's 6,000 now. So above, above inflation, right? Wow. At 10K. Okay. So there we go. Yeah. For those that were wondering, I know I was curious. So that's that's good to know. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's get down to it. Yeah. So with that kind of exciting news out of the way, today's episode, we wanted to talk about something that I, as an individual living with a disability, simultaneously have a lot of and yet don't. And that is control. So the myth for today's episode that we want to talk about is this idea that people living with disabilities have no control over their lives. I think, again, that's another kind of assumption that individuals who don't know people personally with disabilities, they, they may fall for that into that pitfall, right? That we lack some control. And... I've personally experienced this myself in a couple of different ways. <clears throat> you know, others seem to have this perception that I don't have my own sense of autonomy or the capacity 
to make an informed, uncoerced decision because of the way I look, because of my trach, because of the fact that I'm in a wheelchair, the visible atrophy present in my body. Again, people just kind of fall into that pitfall sometimes of, well, he doesn't seem like the type of person that can make decisions. Um, and I think a good kind of common example of this is where where it happens a lot is in restaurants. A lot of times I'll be at a restaurant with family members and friends. And when the waiter or waitress will go around to take orders, oftentimes they'll ask the people around me what I want instead of asking me directly. They assume that I don't have the capacity to make my own order. And so they'll ask people like my grandparents, who I usually go out to eat with, you know, what would he like instead of addressing me directly asking what would you like and this happens a lot more than you would think right actually this happened like a year or two ago we were at an olive garden and to take it a step further we were all eating uh, our food everybody else was finished except for me because i'm a slow eater (laughs) uh i don't have the strength you know to just shove food down my mouth as much as I would like to. Yeah, so if Olive Garden, you have to bring a plastic fork with you? Yeah, well, I don't have to bring one. Like Usually they'll have one. I can just ask for a plastic right. fork wherever I go for the most part. But anyway, so I was still eating. Everybody else was done. And the waiter came by assuming I was done. Just took my plate. Oh. And I just kind of got upset, you know, because I'm like, dude, I wasn't done. I was still getting down with it, you know? Yeah, I didn't hear no bell. Right. Oh, man. And so that's what oh. I mean. I I feel like I have control. But a lot of times, others assume I don't. So. You just got a really rude waitress. I know. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So that kind of leads me into my, my next kind of question for you, Uriel. As an able-bodied person... Do you feel like you have control over your life and the decisions that you make? Do you feel like you have your own sense of autonomy? Uh, Yes and no, man. Um, Yes, in a way where I can, I have control over the decisions I make throughout the day. You know, do, do I eat a banana? Do I eat oatmeal? I have control there. I could choose, you know, what not, to do and what to do that day i um i don't have control over other people and the right i don't have control over other people so someone came up to me and just started i don't know yelling at me for no reason i i couldn't predict for that you know which i guess is an important thing to say that most people including me don't have control over random events that just occur throughout their day or throughout life, you know? Yeah. A good example is like the passing of my grandfather. Like, you know, nobody, we can't really, we can control that. Right. It's just something that happens, but what we can control 
is how we react to it and how we get over it and approach it and do all that stuff, right? Yes, I love that. So I want to make sure to remember to come back to this idea of you can't control other people. Um, and, and we'll get to that. But do you do you think you have more control than the average person living with a disability? Yeah. That's just kind of obvious, right? Yeah. Like like I said in my example, I you have to worry about what you can lift and what you can feed yourself because you don't you don't feel comfortable with people feeding you cuz we've talked about it over, because of the burden complex and all that i don't actually have to worry about that it's either banana oatmeal you know or anything i could cook eggs or i could cook for myself i could get in my car drive off and order something i could go to mcdonald's right i have a bunch of control in that um it's just even even in that sentence, I described a lot of things such as driving, going out, that which I feel not every disabled person has the setup. Oh, how do I word it? The means to go out when they feel like it. Some do. Yeah. Some drive on their own. It's like right? what we talked about with Chelsea. We. We aren't always able to kind of just go out whenever we want because right. we rely on other people to help us go out. Yeah. So more more control than the disabled person? I would say yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So well, that's, it's interesting because I, I want to get back to, like I said, the idea that you can't control other people. Because I would exactly. say I would say to some degree you can't. And I I, I agree. I kind of call this um pseudo control. See, I have this need for control over my care, right? Because if I don't get things done the exact way I want them done, then that jeopardizes my health and my safety. Right. And so this results <clears throat> in me giving specific instructions to people like my caretakers, such as yourself, mm -hmm. you know, think back to when you first came over that night, like a year ago, almost a year. I think almost. Yeah. It's been, yeah, it's like a year now. Almost. Yeah. Uh, just shy of a year, but think back mm -hmm. to that, you know, and I was kind of walking you through all the steps of how to do everything each specific way, you know, just even putting on my pants when I'm in the bed. Right. I told you, you have to turn me back and forth and pull them up in the back on each side every time you turn me to kind of wiggle them up. Right. Now it's second nature. Right. But in that sense, you know, that's why I say I kind of have pseudo control because even though I'm not physically directly putting on my pants myself i'm guiding another person through doing the act for me okay yeah that makes sense i agree that being said you know obviously i don't always get what i want there are times when 
caretakers or nurses do things in such a way that it makes me anxious, makes me uncomfortable. And so in times or situations like those, it's important to be able to kind of go back to what you said earlier, react to them appropriately. Oh, yeah. And there's something, it's a framework that I studied in my communication courses um, that typically is used with regard to conflict. Now, I'm not saying my nurse doing something wrong is the start of a conflict per se every time. Yeah. But it kind of fits the mold of what I'm trying to say here. Uh, when you are in a conflict with someone, there is uh, typically a misunderstanding, right? Uh, a lapse in your understanding of what is going on and what is their understanding of what is going on. So if my nurse puts on my pants in such a way that hurts me, and doesn't follow the instructions that I specifically gave. You know, I kind of call that a conflict because they're doing things one way when I want them done another. That meaning that I initially gave them is not being shared and understood. And so in situations like that, what I have studied is to use this framework called the S. TLC system, not to be confused with the TLC channel. <laughs> <laughs> tender love care. Yeah, or tender love and care. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an acronym. The S stands for stopping to take a time out to process your emotions and assess the situation logically. Because a lot of the times when we are in conflicts with others, we experience emotional flooding where we can't help but think illogically with our emotions being upset frustrated angry disappointed whatever the situation may call for and so that kind of leads into the t to think about that conflict logically right to process what happened the the lapse in communication the lapse in a shared understanding of meaning, of pulling my pants up the way I want them pulled up, being able to listen, both parties being able to listen, that's the L. And then finally, communication, the C. And communication means being able to assert yourself, which doesn't mean just being aggressive and angry and telling them what you want done necessarily. Uh, research shows that being aggressive is harmful when it comes to conflict. And one of the ways that we can avoid being aggressive is by using I statements. Not I as in like your eyeball, but I as in the letter I. Yeah, the pronoun. Yeah. And so okay. I statements are assertive, but not aggressive. They help generate new ideas. They help people brainstorm ways to resolve the conflict. Okay. No, I was a little off topic for some reason. I was thinking about how 
when I have you in the sling and we have to deal with the carpet, it's kind of out, out of our control. <laughs> yeah. But you have pseudo control in telling me to arrange you a certain way. That way you don't bang into something right. when you're swinging because that thing's crazy. Yeah, no, I think that's an even better example than. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like the first time we did it, I'm so sorry. You got bunked a little bit. My bad. <laughs> it's all good. It's But now I just turn you now, you know? Yeah. But yeah, like when I'm in the sling midair, I have no direct control of the situation and I have to rely on that pseudo control I have to tell Uriel what I need to be comfortable. And so a lot of times that involves just kind of turning me in the sling away from the actual machine part of the lift. Yeah, the little like battery box, whatever you want to call because, it, is attached to the thing. Yeah, because when I'm facing it initially, my feet will bump it, which can hurt. And so to avoid that, I use that pseudo control to have him adjust me and move me away from it. Right. Then when we were, when we first started using the sling, how was I supposed to like account for carpet, right? The wheels getting caught in the carpet and everything. And right. You get freaking stuck in the carpet and you have to like put a little force behind it to like get it to move a little bit. Yeah. And that causes you to rock back and forth a little bit. Yeah. The, the house I'm in is it's not necessarily ADA approved. There's stairs and carpet everywhere. <laughs> I mean, hey, we make it work. We make it work. We communicate, right? We stop, take a time out. Think about the conflict and communicate. Uh, we listen to each other, yeah. communicate. I turn you, and I try to push the heart, the lift in a way that doesn't shake you violently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. And so you know when you started shaking it initially, like way back when we first started using the lift, I had to kind of use those assertive communication skills to tell Uriel you know, why I didn't want that being done. <laughs> um, we, when you use I statements to get back to that, mm -hmm. it's helpful yeah. because you're coming off not as defensively as you would sound by using you statements. Mm -hmm. So for example, when it comes to Uriel moving me in the sling and shaking it um, to get it unstuck from the carpet and whatnot, that would bother me. And so if I were to use a you statement, that would sound like you need to stop shaking the lift because it's freaking me out and I might get hurt. Right. I'm putting the onus of the issue of the conflict on Uriel right off the right. bat by using the word you whereas if you were to use an i statement it would sound something like hey i feel a little uncomfortable when the sling is shaking can you possibly not shake it as much when you're moving this the lift around what are ways that we can arrange the furniture in this area to make more space so that you don't have to shake it so hard to immediately turn the lift towards my bed. Right. That's kind of right. I, I mentioned it to you. I think, I think that's a perfect example. I think that made perfect sense. Yeah. Cause when you, when you start off with you, it's kind of, 
it feels like it feels like you're kind of putting the blame on someone especially if it's like out of their control kind of thing you know it's crazy it's very antagonistic right out the gate right that's like yeah. i said when you start a statement with you need to do this you shouldn't have done this yeah you're putting the other person on guard just because right. of the nature of the language and the way that we interpret stuff like that and perceive stuff like that, it, it automatically puts people on guard. They feel mm. like they need to defend themselves by saying stuff like, oh, well, if your house was more accessible, I wouldn't need to shake it this hard, right? That might be like a more aggressive kind of escalation of the call. Right, right. And so that's never the the point of communication that we we never want to escalate conflicts. The goal is to create, like I said, that sense of shared meaning. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I statements are so important because, like I said, they generate new ideas. They they don't automatically put people on the defensive, and it helps people be more open to new ideas. And brainstorming solutions. And okay. I think more importantly, too, just by using a framework like this STLC system, we as individuals living with disabilities, and even those who are more able bodied, we are expressing our own sense of autonomy. We are making this conscious choice to take action against something that we're not comfortable with we are actively engaging in control even though it may not feel like we have control total control over the situation at bare minimum we have control like you said uriel of our reactions to stuff so i think by taking the the steps to use a system like this or just make up your own system. It doesn't have to be STLC. Like it's not mandatory that we all learn the system, but by making Mm -hmm. a conscious decision to, you know, try to handle a conflict or a situation like this um, positively, it will typically end in more favorable, in a more favorable fashion for yourself. Right. Right. But yeah, I don't know if you had any questions about that. I think it's a, I think it's a good system, right? For just anything, you know, especially when you interact. Like I said earlier, I don't have any control over people, but you argue that I did to some extent. If someone came at me, not trying to do physical harm, but just I don't know for some reason, started saying like weird stuff, like. I have control. Maybe I could use STLC, but I have control over, you know, how I react to them. Right. That way it doesn't like ruin my day, you know? And not only your day, but your relationships too. Yeah. A lot of times people with disability sense of control is directly tied, I believe, to our relationships with others. Because like I'm always talking about, I don't have a life where I can just get up out of bed in the morning and do what I want to do. I live a very other person centric type of life where I rely on others. And one of the ways that I can 
put myself into a better position to receive what I want from others is by having good relationships with them. And when you don't treat others with respect, when you put them on guard and make them act defensively right off the bat, when there's any type of conflict or issue that arises, that's probably going to hurt that relationship, which is going to hurt your, or not hurt you, but could jeopardize your care and your life, right? Which opens up another whole new can of worms here. I'm not sure if you want to touch on it a bit, but for those that are using STLC but find themselves in a situation where they're worried about conflict or addressing certain situations with people that take care of them. Do you have any advice for that? Right off the top of my head, I would say it's, it's tough because I overthink and I overanalyze everything. Yeah. And I'm very, I'm a very indecisive person. But when you find yourself in situations like that, like I was just talking about with the whole sling and Ariel kind of shaking the lift a little aggressively sometimes. But I think it's important to just kind of like what the system says, process your emotions and your thoughts first. Don't react with your emotions in mind. Mm. You have to be able to think in regards to both parties and how they'll take the situation, not only yourself, but the other person. Like because like I've been saying, it's not just about you. The other person is a big aspect of this. And so being able to process your feelings, taking the time to do so is really important. I mean, I can't remember exactly how I worded it when it first happened. Knowing myself, I probably didn't say anything. <laughs> I probably waited to think on it until the next time it happened and I was ready to kind of address it. So that, I think that's my advice. Just try to be patient, process your feelings on the situation and speak up and be assertive for yourself when you feel like you're ready. That's good advice. Yeah. But yeah, was uh, there anything else that you wanted to ask or address? I know this is kind of a shorter episode um, because of no guest, but you know, like I said, we just kind of wanted to have a one-on-one -on -one talk with you guys and um, keep it simple today. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy these. Well, I enjoy I enjoy when it's the two of us. And having a guest is always super fun, you know, because right. we get a different perspective on things but it's always nice you know this two of us hanging out for a bit talking a little bit more relaxing definitely all right then well if you like what we had to say today please give us that rating five out of five stars <laughs> a ring a ting a click a like <laughs> yeah and <laughs> so I, I noticed we kind of got a lot of ratings uh, when we first started the podcast and it's kind of dipped in the amount of ratings we got. So please, if you did listen and you liked what we had to say, leave us that rating, write a nice little review. If you can, doesn't have to be a whole paragraph. It could just be something short, simple and stupid, like 
Good talk. Gummy bears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, be sure to share with your friends and family. If you're not already, be sure to follow us on, of course, Instagram and Facebook at The Disability Myth, as well as on YouTube. And um, I think that's it. Any final thoughts? Give it a move about it. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Peace and love. And may the force be with you.